Good morning to all of you in the name of Jesus. Good to be with you this morning. I was uh, thinking back uh, over the years, I have shared many interests with this congregation rather indirectly. Um, I, uh, I think my first connection, albeit very indirect, was with Donald Cassell uh, going back into the mid-1980s uh, when I moved to Boston to pastor, and he was a member there, and you all know very well about the uh, Liberian efforts that have gone over the years. That means also many connections with the Johnstons. It's good to be uh, in your presence again. I'd rather be in your presence here than in the meetings last week. <laughs> um, and I also realized, uh, though it wasn't planned this way, um, very first time I was at this church would have been 30 years ago to this very week. Uh, we were, or you all were in the house next door. Oh, I guess that's now attached, isn't it? And uh, Dr. Blackwood invited me to come in. The Senate was out this way, and I preached and uh, had a good, good fellowship. And I realized that means uh, two things, if it goes back 30 years. Number one, uh, it means that I don't know most of you. <laughs> and number two, that I'm getting old. So, uh, you know, there it is. I can't do anything about that. So uh, we'll, we'll take what we have. Um, I want to tell you just briefly why I chose what I'm going to read and like to talk about this morning. Uh, we are living in a society that is uh, increasingly polarized. For a number of reasons, and I'm not going into those now, but we see it in the politics, we see it in the social developments of the country, we see it in the rhetoric on the internet, we see it everywhere. And um, good news is, in many ways, believers are a light to that and a light in that darkness and have the potential to be a great stability and evidence of goodness at a time when angry polarization taking place. The, the downside, of course, is that these last uh, three, three years or so have brought out, I think, a number of weaknesses among uh, believers and among churches as there's been a lot of, a lot of tension and rancor in ways I, I never thought I'd see. Um, and uh, live, live and learn, right? And so I wanted to just talk this morning about mercy and about that aspect. There's many, many things Christians need to be about, but that certainly is one, and it's one that is very, very much needed. It's always needed, but is very much needed today. And I think in Jesus' day, it's safe to say, for a, a somewhat different set of reasons, uh, people were needing to hear it then as well as the original hearers of the Gospels were living in what was a, a somewhat self-contained um, uh, religious society that was in many cases rural and, and self-referential and, and by at least some in it uh, hit not simply the love of the law of God, which is really good, but a, a real legalism and legalism breeds, among other things, unkindness. And so I'd like to talk about what I've called the quality of mercy with you this morning. So first off, reading from uh, Mark chapter 3, uh, the first six verses. Uh, again, uh, Jesus entered the synagogue, and by the way, he's circling, circling around Capernaum, which is sort of the center of operations for his ministry. Uh, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a, we would say, atrophied or withered hand, and they watched Jesus. Do you realize that? They're already poised. They watched Jesus to see whether he would heal that man on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, these are the people poised, you know, like vultures waiting for raw meat. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good 
or to harm, to save a life, or to kill. But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out. And his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herod party, the Herodians, against Jesus as to how to eliminate him. Wow. Okay, Luke 7. Familiar story, I bet, to most of you. Chapter 7, starting at verse 36. Luke 7, 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined. I know the text often says at table. They weren't using tables. They were reclining on the floor, just so you know. That's where most people were eating, on carpeting on the floor. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... When she learned that Jesus was reclining there at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing sort of behind him but at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him and that she's a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I've got something to say to you. He said, well, say it, teacher. Well, a certain moneylender who had two debtors Uh, One owed him 500 denarii, that's a day's wage, 500 days' wages, and the other 50. And when they couldn't pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, well, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you judge rightly. And he turned toward the woman. But he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her own hair. You gave me no kiss of greeting, but from the time I came to this house, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. Uh, You didn't anoint my head with oil, She's anointed my feet with ointment. And therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are many. They're forgiven. She's loved much. But he who's forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, 
Who is this who forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. Sometimes what you hear is a deafening but condemning silence sometimes. And Jesus asked in some ways a question that should have an obvious answer. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Hopefully everybody would say without a hesitation, of course it is. Let's look for ways to do something good on the Sabbath. That's what you'd like to hear. But the fact that on that particular day and in that location, there were at least some people present at that worship, probably not all, but some, and some of whom apparently were of the party of the Pharisees, we find from early sources, there were some thousands of Pharisees who lived in various parts of Jewish Palestine, uh, for whom there was zero response. Zero response, very simply, because nothing was going to break into their control paradigm of do this and don't do that and avoid this and be careful about that. And if you do a number of all these negatives, hopefully you won't break the law of God. It was both Godward and anti-Godward thinking at the same time, wasn't it? But just stony silence, nothing. I don't know how long Jesus waited and let the silence just sort of you know, permeate the synagogue there, but it must have been an uncomfortable one, no doubt. And it says he was angry at it. He was really annoyed because of the hypocrisy that was there. And every time I come into this passage, there's interesting stories. It reminds me of some other stories Jesus told, but we, I know we have to keep it within a certain amount of time today, so I'll do that. Uh, it reminds me of that famous Shakespeare line. You perhaps recognize the line, whether you're a follower of Shakespeare or not. The quality of mercy is not strained. I don't know if you recognize that line, but it's a, it's a kind of a famous one. And it has to do with the idea that if someone's going to be really kind and good to somebody else, it ought to come from deep in the heart and just sort of just flow out naturally, not something that has to be constructed or necessarily cleverly planned or anything like that. Uh, the background is there's a character named Portia, and it's in Shakespeare's uh, play, The Merchant of Venice. And Portia goes to the moneylender Shylock, who lends out money at these you know, ridiculously high rates that you know, basically trap people. And uh, she basically begs him to show mercy to a character named Antonio. And I'm going to give you just a couple of the lines of the context, not, not the whole speech, because uh, it's a very interesting comment coming of all, all places from Shakespeare, right? Um, the, uh, Shakespeare's like YouTube. You know, there's a lot of truth in there, but not everything is truth, right? <laughs> okay, it's the YouTube of the day. Uh, the quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath, and it's twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes. And it's uh, tis mightiest in the mightiest, and it becomes the throned monarch better than his crown. Quality of mercy, not strained. It ought to just show out. And you know, we talk in our circles 
about how the marks of the, of the true church are things like the word and sacraments and prayer and discipline and so forth. All, all, all very appropriate, all very appropriate. But I want to just put next to that something you all know. Uh, the youngest know this already. Jesus said, they will know you by your... Yeah, you all know it. I want to just explore that because quality is a good piece of love. You know, mercy and grace are two sides of the same coin, right? Uh, grace is something that you get that's undeserved, and it's good, but you didn't deserve it, right? Mercy, not getting something bad that you, you also deserved, but uh, you didn't get the bad stuff, you got the good stuff instead. Uh, there really are two sides to the same coin. They both have to do with being loved. And you know it's illustrated in that parable, or we just read from Jesus, where two people were in a hopeless situation with regard to someone who loaned the money. The question is, what's going to happen? He forgives them both. A very generous act. And the um, question is, what's the response of someone when they receive a generous act? And, and hopefully it's one of great appreciation. By the way, you realize in that story, when Jesus talked about someone not really needing to be forgiven that much, He's not saying some of you are kind of righteous already and some of you are really bad people. There's, there's an irony there, right? We're all needing to be forgiven much. Or as one recent uh, well-known pastor has said, it's by God's mercy you woke up this morning because if it weren't for, for that, his justice would have killed you last night. You know, that's a little bit of truth for that, isn't there? It's much needed in bad situations and I came across a story not long ago that fascinated me. Uh, it's come out in a book. Uh, the book is called A Higher Call. Uh, I've read part of the book, but I, I, I just wanted to sort of summarize the, the story for you. Um, it comes out of 1943. I'm attuned to these kind of stories because uh, one, uh, my uncle, my Australian uncle, uh, trained as a bomber pilot and uh, could have been in this man's very shoes with, with the timing just a bit different. 1943. Uh, a Canadian lieutenant, I'm not joking here, his name is Charlie Brown, uh, is flying his B-17 fortress over German airspace. There's a terrible fight that ensues, and the B-17 is just severely damaged. The compass is knocked out. I believe one of the airmen is killed right, right within the, the, the airship there. And he sort of limps out of the fray, barely able to keep his B-17 uh, afloat. And a German ace uh, named Franz Stigler is commanded to go after that plane, finish the job, take it down, which seems like a fairly easy, you know, it's our expression we have, you know, shoot, shooting uh, fish in a barrel kind of a thing. Uh, and the unexpected happens. Uh, Stigler, by the way, both pilots were in their early 20s. They were quite, quite young men. Uh, Stigler, you know, heads out towards the plane. He, he gets ready to do, I think, what any of us under those circumstances would do. You're prepared to you know, do your job and finish it. And something just catches his attention, and he pulls up uh, sort of next to this hobbled B-17, and he can see uh, through the window of the cockpit uh, Charlie Brown desperately trying to, you know, keep the plane afloat. And furthermore, Stigler can figure out there's something very wrong because Brown isn't getting away from German airspace, but uh, seems to be going deeper into it. And whatever it was that got Stigler, something caught him, and somehow he motions to Charlie Brown. Stigler leads him 
out of German airspace. It's a safe space. And as Stigler swings around to go back, salutes Charlie Brown. Amazing. Decades later, Brown finds Stigler. They become friends for the rest of their lives. Is that an interesting story? That's, that's, that's mercy. Amazing, amazing story. And by the way, the book is called A Higher Call, if you want to, want to check out the rest of the story. So I was thinking about mercy and people like that where you sometimes um, see something amazing where you least expect to see it. God's mercy to us comes in many forms, right? Gift of life, all right? The faithfulness and consistency of goodness that he shows to us, you know that expression, he causes his reign to fall on the just and the unjust alike. Still generous. Uh, gifts of the spirit where he is doing things and has done things inside of us that you know, we couldn't have imagined. By the way, there's at least some of us here, I'm, I'm one of those who came to faith in Christ right out of a context of bitter hatred towards our creator. You know, we, we, we didn't sort of start loving him. There's some of us who hated him. If there's a way to spit in the face of God, some of us would have done that. That's the kind of contempt some of us have had. And, and in the middle of that, uh, he wins us over. You can look at it in stories in the Bible. There's stories you all know, right? Adam and Eve, after all that stuff goes down with the serpent... Right? Nevertheless, they're given a great place to live, and they're led out of it eventually to, in a way, protect themselves. But it's not that the grace of God stops to them. It changes form of necessity. Abraham. Abraham is one of the great fathers of the faith, you realize. But you read the stories about Abraham, and you look at some of the decisions that he made. These were not good decisions. You know some of these stories. God still loves him. Covenant with him. You can come down to Jacob. Jacob is another one of the heroes of the faith. Uh, as I like to say, give me a choice of Jacob or Esau as my neighbor. I'll take Esau any day. Because at least I may not like the guy, but I know what I'm dealing with. All right? Jacob's your neighbor. First, your lawnmower goes missing. <laughs> then it's your car. Yeah. And then the boundary marker between your property and his just got moved. Don't give me that guy. But that's the guy who eventually will, in the best sense, strive with God. That's interesting. Moses, his share of shortcomings. Um, life is difficult for Moses, and yet God does amazing things in covenant with him and therefore with covenant with others. David, a complicated man. Uh, beginning of a complicated dynasty. Right? You know the stories. And what is he called? This man who fought too much, married eight women, among others. I'm just, it's the Bible's record. I'm just stating it as a fact. A man after God's own heart. How do these things happen? It's not because of the people, obviously. It's because of the God who is merciful. So we are like that. I was listening a couple of years ago, actually, in, in conversation with a, an Egyptian Christian evangelist, of all things. He made an interesting con, con, uh, comparison. You know, we, we were both at a conference, by the way, uh, talking about uh, the Quran and Islam. Um, 
I'm not, I'm not advancing the Quran. I want to just say it was a conference about the Quran, okay? And he made this interesting comment. I said, you know, the Quran talks a lot about mercy of God. He goes, oh, exactly. He said, however, notice, it talks about it. Does it ever illustrate it? No, I don't think, I don't think it does. Interesting. So in this parable that we looked about, you know, this person with the two servants who owed him money, we obviously can see in this very, very, it's, it's transparent. You know, this is God with different people with different degrees and different kinds of sin and defect and shortcoming and blind eyes and so on and so forth. And they both need the cancellation of the debt. As humans count debts, some debts are bigger than others, but, but every one of us is, is, is a debtor. There's none of us could say, ah, I pretty much got there by myself. We, we can't do that. Because if you're really good in one area, you're quite possibly not so good in another area. Just we're more aware of other people's sins than, than ours. We always like to say, too, you know, it's easier to confess the sins of a past generation, harder to confess my own. But all I'm saying is every one of us, every one of us, no exception is a debtor before God. And do you realize every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, we admit that. You know, I, I may be forgiven for a number of things. There may be a number of sins I've walked away from, thank God. Still a debtor, not only for the past, but also for the things that are yet ahead of me. Forgive us our debts is the first part. And what is often forgotten is that right after teaching the Lord's Prayer, Jesus has a little commentary on the prayer he's just taught. And one of the things he adds is, because if you don't forgive somebody else their debts to you, God will not forgive your debts to him. It's quite a sobering piece. It's a little bit, frankly, it's unnerving to see that. But it says again and again and again to us, we need mercy. That's the first thing I'd like to do to bring it together. We need mercy. We forgive our debtors as we need to be forgiven. Okay? And, you know, Jesus emphasizes, here's another phrase, getting at the same idea. He says elsewhere, this is also Matthew 5, by your standard of measure, it'll be measured to you. Okay, good to remember. So that's on the one hand. God makes his reign to fall on the just and the unjust alike, and I'm justified, and you're justified in Christ, but still needing ongoing forgiveness. So we need the mercy. If we remember that we constantly need it, it will be that much easier to show it to others. Now, I don't mean that there's never accountability. There's accountability, too. You can be forgiven, but still have to be put in a position where you're paying a debt somehow, right? Uh, So to speak. But that's the one thing. So we, we, are, we are indebted. That's the first thing. And the second thing I'd like to bring around is people who know what it's like to be forgiven, who know what it's like to be loved, who know what it's like to have been shown patience, who know what it's like to have received amazingly good things when it's the last thing they deserved or the last thing they expected, and they got it anyway. I think, are going to find it that much easier to then turn around and say to someone else, well, what's been shown to me, I'd like to show to you. And our society needs that. We, we need that from each other. We absolutely need that from each other. 
And our society, maybe more than ever, is needing to hear it, see it, and experience it in us. May it be that when people look at Christians, they can think many things. And they may not always be accurate, by the way, but I'd like it that they could think many things. But one of the things they could say is, I was shown love. I was shown kindness. I was shown graciousness. I was shown patience. I was shown consideration. Someone looked in the long stretch. I'd like unbelievers to be able to say that of their experience with Christians. That's the quality of mercy that is not strained. Amen. Lord, may it be, may this be, as we have pictured it here from us. May we pause to take in all that we have needed and we continue to need. And may it be that as we know that and receive it, we would be all that much readier to show it by God's grace. We pray this in in his name. Amen.